This is Teresa with Let's Talk with Teresa Ann. I am your host and so thrilled I'm getting to do this special interview with Carissa Bradford, the founder of Adamo Nail Bar. Adamo Nail Bar started from this crazy experience that I had in my early 20s. Um, I got married very, very young and during my early days of doing nails, I was um, walking through a situation with my family that involved a woman who was getting paid to have sex for money with um, somebody in my family. It was hard to believe. Uh, the, The man involved had all of the money and the resources and the toys and the beautiful family and the thriving business and everything that one would admire. Um, Very well connected in our community back in California and, you know, went to church every Sunday and held his kids to the utmost highest standard. And it was really shocking when they were caught in their affair to believe that it was gonna be with a homeless person like they were trying to claim. Spinning it as uh, just this love story, like walked outside of Home Depot and there was a homeless person that, you know, needed clothes and after buying them clothes, one thing led to another. And they could have probably believed it, but one day when we were driving through a parking lot on the opposite side of town, We were, I guess, gonna look for this one homeless person and try to get the real story out of them because it was just so hard to believe. And it was actually hard to believe that we were gonna ever find this one homeless heroin addict, you know? But um, we pulled the car over and we prayed very simply. It wasn't, you know, anything crazy. It was early in my faith and I just asked God to reveal whatever it needed to be revealed in order for our family to move on and move forward. Within three minutes of praying and maybe, you know, maybe a couple hundred feet of driving through a parking lot, like we have our window tapped on by a young lady who was my age. She had a baseball side sap infection on her left arm with needle marks all in it and she was on a clear come down. I never even met anybody on drugs, so it was pretty shocking for me. Yeah, it was a sight. I couldn't believe it. So um, she asked for money to use the payphone, and we, my family member and I, had gotten out of the car and just started asking all kinds of questions. You know, she was using the payphone to call this person, and she held up a card, and it was my family member's name that was with me and phone number. And in this moment, we had just collided with destiny you know i don't know how you find one homeless heroin addict in a community of 800,000 people family member had gone out two weeks prior and talked to all the homeless people in the community and offered ten dollars to anybody who claimed they knew rihanna and um rihanna was the girl's name that we had gotten out of my family member who was, you know, paying these women. And um, 
somebody said they knew her, so my family member gave them $10 and gave them her card and said, when you see her, will you have her call me? And it just so happened that she had gotten out of jail, gotten up to the east side that day in that moment and was crossing the parking lot and tapped on our window and asked us for money to use the payphone to call my family member. to her enough to learn that she was one of countless amounts of homeless heroin addicts who was being paid to have sex with um, my family member and when um, everything had come out and he was getting caught he had gathered up all the homeless heroin addicts that he had had relationships with and he had paid them to lie about the whole situation if you know he brought his wife could they lie to her and say that you know, this was just one time, one thing. And they said that they, she said, Rihanna said, I said I wouldn't lie, but I'm also not going to take the fall for this either. I get paid by somebody who gets paid to find your husband homeless heroin addicts to have sex with. Your husband's very sick, is, is what she said in her moment of like foaming at the mouth and coming down. I remember looking into her eyes, her beautiful eyes, and... Just, I just remember telling her, like, there was so much more for her. Like, that didn't have to be the end of her story that, you know, I was sorry that, that anybody could do that to somebody, you know. And I left, uh, that moment was, like, this moment in time that changed me. I just had no idea. Um, and I had gone back to my husband and told him everything that had happened. And he was shocked. And um, I said, I just feel like we're supposed to help her. Like, I wish I could have helped her. I wish I could have done more. It wasn't until I was doing nails, probably three or four months later, that I was breaking every rule in the code of manicures conduct. And I was talking about, you know, this crazy family that I had married into. And um, it just so happened that the person whose nails I was doing was related to my husband. <laughs> and so she ended up telling me that she went to school with the homeless heroin addict before she was a homeless heroin addict. And one more time, I'm like, this is not real. Like how does this happen? How do you know? She was like, well, how many people named Rihanna do you know? I was like, nobody, nobody. So yeah, so she had had an overdose at her drug dealer's apartment and she um, had nowhere to go do heroin. The drug dealer told her that she could do it at his house. Once she did it, he continued to inject her with heroin and um, essentially rape her because she was unconscious. And when somebody else came, they saw her foaming at the mouth, laying on the ground. They called 911 and she was taken to the hospital and because her liver had failed and she had so much infection in her body, she had to have both legs and her seven fingers removed. And my client at the time was telling me this had just happened. I just could not believe it. So we were headed out of town and I needed something from a friend who happened to work at the hospital and when I got to the hospital 
I had um, just felt this push, which now I know is the Holy Spirit. But at the time, I was very early in my walk, you know. And uh, I said, no, no, I can't go ask if she's there. Like, what would I say if she's there, you know? And so I go ask, and sure enough, she was there. Like, I didn't They said, okay, yeah, she just got out of surgery. She's in recovery. You can go up there. They tell me where to go. I get up there. And I was just crying. I said, what do you... I don't know why I'm here. I just know that what happened to you is completely unjust, and I would do anything to make it right. This is not who... I am, this isn't who my family is. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And her response was that she had had seven people bring her seven Bibles and she didn't have fingers to turn the pages. In that moment, I didn't know where to go in the Bible, so I just opened it and the verses that came were Jesus cleansing the leper. And I just wept because I knew that he was just cleansing her of addiction and of the shame and of this guilt. And she just cried and she said that once she met my family member that day in the parking lot, she just felt like she had ruined a whole family and it was her fault and there was no real reason to live anymore and she just went off the deep end. And I told her that that was complete lies. You know, it wasn't her fault. There was some other individuals involved that had a lot more control over the situation than she did. Um, and that I would help her, you know. It took me a long time to, like, get to a place where I could help her. It took me about 29 days, to be exact, to feel equipped to be able to help. And when I got back, I learned that she was released on the 28th day. So the day before I got back to the hospital, feeling ready and equipped, she was released. And I just remember for those three days, I I went into mourning pretty much. I just wept and cried and like threw myself on the ground. And just I remember just telling Chance over and over that there would be never again would I be trusted to help somebody in the name of the Lord. Um, that I had failed God that I would never be used. Um, I chose to please man over God. And I was ashamed. Like, I was so ashamed because I knew what I was supposed to be doing. Three days of mourning, getting to church on Sunday, Chance, my husband, he said, let it go, just let it go, Carissa. Like, all of that's not true. You did the best you could. got to church that day went to a church of about 10,000 people between all three services so a very big church and um, I was just sitting in our normal seats and up up on the hall or the aisle rolls Rihanna somebody's pushing her in the wheelchair and they just stroll her and set her right in front of me and uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, like that just doesn't happen. That's crazy. And so, you know, I went and got in front of her and I got down on my knees and I just hugged her. And I was so sorry that I was so late and I wasn't going to miss my opportunity to build a friendship with her or build this relationship with her. And her and I became friends. You know, she got to spend Easter with my side of the family and um, we'd have lunch and I'd go over there and just spend time with her. And, um, and then we were moved to Texas and 
she really inspired me shortly before we went to Texas to sign up for CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocates. You are given court rights to go and walk alongside a person in the foster care system who um, maybe the court has like questions on what is going on in their life and needs more of an outsider's perspective. So I um, partnered with Kern County CASA and I was pregnant with Charlie at the time. Went through the weeks, I think it was like six to eight weeks of training. And when I was done, I was partnered with a young lady who was 12 years old who functioned at a seven-year-old capacity and she could not hold her own urine. And so after going to the doctors and um, doing a little digging, we found out that her dad had been molesting her from such a young age that um, he punctured her bladder and she couldn't hold her pee anymore. So Got involved, saw a lot of crazy abuse happening and we're just being taken advantage of, you know? And so I came here, I had laid everything down. I'd left my job, left my clients, left my philanthropy. Through all of the drama from the family situation um, and my husband working for family, we had to get a fresh start. Like we had to get away from all of that toxic environment. So um, we took a leap of faith as a family and applied for jobs all over the country. And my husband was offered a job in Austin, Texas. And we let them know that in eight days we would be leaving for Texas where we were going to relocate and we were going to start fresh. And to say everybody was shocked was an understatement. Um, we fought demons, literal, that just manifested and it was horrible. So it helped us move quicker. So we got here and um, we were just welcomed by people in the community that like we met randomly on that one weekend that we came here. You know, we we met them at like a crawfish boil. They opened up their home at like 3 a.m. in the morning for us to come into. So we knew that God was with us, you know. What we also thought was that we'd moved here for Chance's job. And it took us about a year of being here and getting, you know, acclimated to our new home that uh, God would reveal that we were actually here to start Adamo. Um, I was, you know, just in the word every single day, just not for any other reason besides wanting to know who this creator was that loved us so much that he would give us his fresh start, that he would provide in every way for our family to be able to thrive when we thought that we were reliant on our, you know, family's business to thrive or um, my husband's job to thrive, but it was really God all along. When we finally got to that place of health in our family, he unleashed this dream to me one Sunday morning and I saw Rihanna sitting in this classroom and all these other students were upstairs in this classroom too. There was all these windows and we were just um, learning about nails. And in one scene, we were just all gathered around this table and ooing and aahing over this like nail art that somebody had done in class. and. I had gone downstairs. It was a it, it's a real building in Austin, right? And so um, 
I walk downstairs of this building and there's just this vibe going on in the whole place. There's this buzz. There's like a mother and daughter getting their manicure and pedicure. There's girls laughing and the girl that's ringing out at the register is just like got one hand on the lady that's checking out and there was such a um, an empowerment of women cultivating in this space, right? And I ended up waking up I was white. I was awake. Like it was like 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. I was awake, but I ended up like coming back to reality and like having to look around for a second and thought, I am never going to tell anybody what just happened in that moment ever again. Like that, that's crazy. First of all, you can like barely pay your bills. So <laughs> second of all, you want this building on the corner of Riverside and South Congress. So does everybody else in town. <laughs> and third of all, that's super cute. Like, I don't know what you're doing there, you know? And so I go to church um, and we're late and I can't find my notebook and like quickly grabbed whatever one was by the door. I hadn't seen it in about eight months. And I just draw this little squiggly line I love to write and I write point one and I'm catching up on the notes and point one was dream big and don't stop dreaming and the last thing that I had written that my husband pointed out was the last thing I'd written in that notebook was dream big and so all of this like comes together on this day and uh, you know there's a couple other like weird confirmations of people like in that moment in that day in that morning encouraging me to dream right and that's like for the first time I was content being at home with my kids and like living this real simple life. And now all of a sudden it's like, boom, you're supposed to do this. So I ended up sharing with Chance what I wanted to do or what I thought that dream was all about. And he said, I think you know what you're supposed to do. And I was shocked. because started researching just what was happening in our country and what was happening in our state with trafficking and that's when I learned that we didn't have any trade schools for survivors of sex trafficking or any kind of scholarship programs for at-risk young adults to be able to get a trade where they could sustain life outside of the commercial sex industry. I learned about um, that large percentage of forgotten youth that is actually the ones that are being kidnapped and taken into the um, sex trade um, because essentially no one's looking for them. And it was this crazy revelation that like everything that you had learned in California, everything that you had done is kind of like colliding. Nails and foster care and trafficking and all of these things are actually like really closely intertwined and can be used. I remember making an appointment with my pastors to kind of share this vision with them and ask their guidance and information on like, how do you start a mission, ministry, organization? Like, how do you even start one? The actual meeting got there from the time I made the meeting, I found out that I was pregnant. And so it kind of made the meeting like obsolete, but I can't cancel on my pastors. I'd never even like sat down with them yet. And so this was an opportunity for them to know, you know, me and Chance and know who we were. And I guess I figured I would just honor the commitment and go to the meeting. And in the meeting, 
were kind of like beating around the bush and they said, okay, so like, what's up? You know, and I said, well, to be honest, I was going to bring you here to talk about, you know, this calling that I felt on my life, but I'm pregnant now. And so it really doesn't matter what kind of calling I had on my life because I'm going to be a mom of three kids. So that's it. And they just looked at me and they looked at each other. And uh, my pastor said, with all due respect, what does having another baby have to do with your calling? And in that moment, it was like, duh. Like, you're not God. You you need God. And if you don't have this baby, you're going to always think that you were the one that did this. Like, this baby is how I relied on God. And so, that's what they said. They said, yeah, you can't have another baby and this organization, but God can. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. And I thought... That's a very interesting point. Let me left there and Chance is like, just give it time. So I go about, you know, these early stages. Now I've had the baby. Um, it's been seven months since I've met with my pastors. He's a newborn. And I was just content again. Like it was just more time with the Lord. And so he's about six months old and um, I'd had a friend move into my neighborhood and just in our time of, you know, cleaning each other's houses and, you know, going to the grocery store together and her sticking by me when I had this baby, you know, uh, I would share this dream that I once had and she'd never really known me because she met me after I'd had stones, so she didn't know, you know, how passionate I was about that. But one day she came over with a, just like a little gift, and the, the mug said she believed she could, so she did. And the notebook said a, a goal is just a dream with a plan. And I thought, I get you, you know, like, I see what you're doing. You're planting little seeds, and they're working. Like, I really want this again. early days my girl to go to was Priscilla Schreier and Priscilla Schreier was like in this season of just pounding down into the hearts of women the power of prayer and I loved being in the word and I loved going to church and I loved helping but I would say at that time prayer was not necessarily like strategic it was just you know praying for the kids and praying when I had time praying in my mind but it wasn't like warring, right? And so I've gone with two of, my, two of my girlfriends from church to Dallas, thinking we were going to a women's conference. We ended up being at a Priscilla Schreier night of prayer, and it was incredible. Like I write down on this card exactly what I want from Adamo. I put it on the altar, I leave, the next day, I wake up in the morning, I write it on another note card, I slap it on the walls of my prayer closet that I had made the night that I got back from Dallas, cleaned out all of my clothes and just said, all I want room for is God. Like, clear it out. Three days later, I find a Airstream trailer on Craigslist. I 
Ask Chance if I can have it. He says if you can find the money. I make one phone call. We get the money. And we get this trailer. On like right when Stone turns one. We um, ended up, you know, being all excited and showing all of our friends, you know, what this big piece of junk was going to look like one day. And, you know, everybody kind of just smiled and was like, good, God bless you. I hope that's, you know, you get everything that you wanted and more. And um, I ended up um, building a room in my house that was a nail studio and just started with the basics, like just started small again. I had the trailer and storage and I would just do one manicure at a time and all the funds would go towards restoring the trailer, you know? So about $25 a service going towards about a $25,000 budget. And we're doing like five people a week. So you could imagine that it was exciting and daunting at the same time. And one day one of those clients comes in and she said, have you ever heard of a Kickstarter? And um, I hadn't, but she shared what it was and I applied and we ended up um, asking for $15,000 in 60 days. And in that moment, it was like God revealed that this might be my dream, but this is his heart. And the women that I'm looking to help are my sisters on the outside of my life that I am supposed to help restore everything that the enemy thinks he's going to steal from them. And once God spoke to me like that and let me know that I was only a vessel um, that he wanted for them more than I wanted for them, I really understood that there was nothing else to do besides stand in faith and do you know there's nothing else you can do when you see God's heart like that and he reveals himself both in the word both audibly and he's actually moving in the natural girl it is like just hang on tight you know and so he unleashed the resources through kickstarter to start the nail bar with the nail bar, we got to experience um, crazy favor that we got to partner with organizations like Google and Community Impact, Magnolia, TLC. Um, you know, we've just got to do some really incredible things and spread our mission throughout Central Texas uh, in large part to these companies that have welcomed us in and said, we think what you're doing is incredible and we want to be part of it. Round Rock Express. And now we have one connection that is, you know, just digging really deep roots. And that's with the hive down in South Austin. And we found that that's where our people are. You know, South Austin people, I love them. If I would have just bought a house in Round Rock, I'd be there, you know. Um, so we are, you know, talking about what that relationship's going to look like really soon. And because of what's happened with the nail bar that we've gotten to do what we set out to do, which is open the lab. Some big leaps of faith that were met with kept promises. And we're only at the beginning. We're good. It is my passion 
to come alongside hurting people and restore hope. That, that at the end of the day is what it is. Uh, somebody once told me that I could be anywhere doing anything, but my calling is people. So there was nothing crazy um, equipped about me to go out and do a domo. And that's why I have so much faith that if you will fill the call and you will fill the need to come alongside a domo, that we could expand throughout the country and we could reach women in every state, all 50 of them need a program like a domo to be able to equip them into lives that are sustainable outside of the commercial sex industry. We are only one of three organizations training um, into trades and we're the only state licensed facility. So I believe in what we're doing and I believe that with your help, we can do so much more. Our mission at Adamo, as simple as it gets, is to educate, empower, and equip survivors of sex trafficking into the trade of manicuring and individuals at risk. We do that through our nail lab, where we are able to educate them into a trade that provides sustainable lifestyles outside of the commercial sex industry above the poverty line. We empower them by you know, using everybody's talents, whatever it is, to help engage them in the fight against trafficking and let their talents be for a purpose, a deep purpose. And we enable them by helping the students get jobs in our community with nail salons and spas that we feel are amazing places to work that have put together compensation packages for these for our students specifically, that are incredible. They're opportunities that we, I never had as a manicurist. And so um, what we are, are nails of purpose.